Hello, and welcome to What's Next, a podcast exploring the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. Over the last decade, we've seen more and more of our data and computing move to the cloud, but that's changing. The next computing paradigm will be all about the edge. To explore how edge computing works, today I'm talking to Kilton Hopkins and Farah Papuyuanu. They're the founders of Edgeworks, a company set on making it as easy as possible for enterprises to run applications at the edge. Welcome to the podcast. Thank Great. you. Happy Thanks. to be here. All right. So to start, tell me what is Edgeworks and what is it that you do? We're an edge computing company, and our belief is that we're moving to a place where all of these devices that are becoming more and more intelligent and generating more and more data will ultimately become software platforms. So the most you know innocuous devices, whether it be a refrigerator, your washing machine, a car, an oil pump, will all become software platforms, and we're going to enable that future. So your edge works. You operate on the edge. What is the edge? How do you define it? And how is it different from the cloud or the fog or, you know, all these other different terms that people are coming up with? Yeah. So in the early days of the Internet and the World Wide Web, the edge had a different meaning. The edge, there's like the edge of the cloud, which is this is that that ISP building, right? This is the AT&T uh, local branch office where all of the local computers would dial in and then would be connected to the Internet at large. And that would be something that used to be called an edge. And now the definition of the edge is kind of a little bit more like this. You have the, you know, the cloud or the, the, the internet center and you have kind of the edge of the cloud and then you get into the physical world and this is the edge proper. Fog here is part of the edge, but fog just means you don't really know where at the edge it's running. So maybe anywhere in the building, I want to run these analytics. Okay, great. That's a great fog use case. And it's kind of like fog is like if the cloud-ish stuff were running in the physical world, like so down at the ground level, that's why, you know, fog, right? But all of that is edge and then edge goes all the way down to the generation of the data. So it could be the uh, the fitness band you're wearing on your wrist. Right. So the way that you think about the edge is literally like the final device, that can be used to process some amount of information. Yep, physical things, things that are present in some determined uh, location or geography. And whether or not they're the, you know, the end of the chain, it's not so important. It's just that they're part of that physical makeup and that, that uh, network of things that is, uh, actually has a location. Okay, cool. So you're both interested in edge computing and IoT. What led you to that place? Like, where did the interest come from? Or how did you get started? Well, it's... It's an absolute necessity. When uh, the Internet of Things began to rise, I had already spent a couple of years from like 2010 onward looking at it. And then in 2014, edge computing was just like self-evident to me. And so I came across it because I couldn't see any other way that we would possibly handle what we were trying to do with Internet of Things. And then I realized it's so much more than the Internet of Things. I mean, edge computing is essentially all the best stuff we've learned from the last 20 years brought down to the rising amount of computing power that's on every device. So for me, I just, I came across it the way that, you know, I came across the cloud in the early, you know, to mid 2000s and the way I came across mobile in the, the late part of that first decade came in front of me. And I said, this is, this is just has to be the next thing to focus on. Yeah, I think it was a similar kind of experience for me, but I, I focused on it from a marketing standpoint as opposed to a tech standpoint. You know, it just seemed like a no brainer in the way that everything was becoming intelligent. Everything was becoming smart. I try to explain what I do to my mom. Autonomous cars, she understands. And, um, you know, I have a newborn who I'm 
don't believe we'll ever have a driver's license because autonomous cars will be so ubiquitous. So, you know, imagine if a car comes to a four-way stop, how do we determine what goes first? If we had to take all that data that's generated, I mean, these cars are now basically computers on wheels. If we take all that data that's generated uh, to try and solve this problem and try and shift it back to some cloud in order to get some sort of processing and some sort of answer, there's no way that would work, right? You know, there's latency issues, uh, bandwidth issues, um, you know, Kilton likes to say if every house in San Jose turned on a Nest camera all at once, it would break the internet. And I'm not talking about the way Kim Kardashian's butt did, but I mean, really break it and come crashing down. So on top of that, even if you could solve those things, then there's cost, right? So it just seemed like a no brainer that this is what's going to have to happen in order to enable these smart devices to really do what people want them to do um, or think they can do. So what are the enabling factors that are converging to make edge computing not only possible but necessary, as you say. You know, let's talk about what that involves. Well, one is the ever-decreasing cost of good quality compute. So the amount of computing power you can get for a few dollars now is incredible compared to what it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And also power consumption, right? So we can run a lot more uh, powerful things off of batteries and uh, off of solar so first we learned how to work with data. So data science was a very, very specialized field for a long time until then. And we had an explosion. And, you know, during the big data era, we realized that there's all kinds of uses for data if only we had enough of it. And so then given that we now know that we can do great things with data, uh, there's more demand for more data. And that began the rise of the kind of the Internet of Things scramble, which is like get sensors out there so we can start learning so we can see if maybe we could predict failure of that machine or increase efficiency. And as soon as you have all of this data being generated, you have the necessity of edge computing, because if you take a look at the amount that will be um, generated over the next uh, five to 10 years, it hits a point pretty rapidly in which we can't handle it with the Internet flow that we have, nor should you, because a lot of it needs to be processed very, very quickly, like on the latency level of microseconds. So all of that comes from, you know, the fact that we can work with data. And then that came from the fact that we actually had some tools and and things. So um, those are some of the trends that have put us kind of squarely where we are today. So how does how does EdgeWorks actually work or how does the technology work um, and, and what do you actually provide? Sure. So every device that's out there, we give a what's called a piece of agent software. And what that does is it sits on top of the operating system and um, it, it takes over looking at what's running and what should be running. The software, it abstracts the hardware and then exposes a, a containerized uh, runtime environment, so allowing you to operate any code that's been packaged. In addition, it also provides some basic services. So think like uh, Amazon Web Services has like S3 buckets, right? And that's everybody who works with AWS knows about this. And this is how you do unstructured file storage. I want to store a picture. I want to store whatever. You just use S3. So same thing for the edge. So we provide in that software agent a couple of, you could call them like hooks into building for the edge or running at the edge. So one of those hooks is that all of your data just looks local. How we do that is we make a network between all of the devices that are running the agent and that have been authorized into your your edge environment. And um, so once you install that piece of agent software, it's just that compute pretty much becomes an edge software platform. And uh, then you can manage it through the same way. They kind of all look the same and so on. And yeah, that's, that's the gist of how it works like in a nutshell. And uh, to take all that tech and repackage it into something that, you know, a lay person can maybe understand is what we try to do for uh, these devices is what basically Android did for mobile. And so before Android came along, each one of these 
phone devices were, were their own software platforms. Hardware, the software was all tied into one, right? So BlackBerry, for example, owned their own applications and no one could write for them. And whatever BlackBerry came out with, that's all you can use. Well, Android came along and turned this phone into just from a communication device into a software platform where people could write anything from Angry Birds to weight loss apps to, you know, Quicken for uh, phones to, you know, um, Fortnite for my son, you know, any sort of application they wanted to write. Uh, so it really opened it out beyond just, you know, communication to and also opened it out to make it easy for all developers to write for this. So this mobile device is now a software platform. It's basically an edge device that people can't carry around with them. Well, what we can do is we can do that same sort of thing, but expand it beyond mobile into, again, cars, uh, oil pumps, refrigerators, any device that has any like minimum level of compute, we can turn that into a software platform. So, you know, we can think of ourselves almost like Android for the edge. Okay. When you think about a lot of these use cases and a lot of the things that you, you've talked about, you know, a lot of it's consumer facing. And w- what I'm wondering is for those consumer facing devices, how many of them actually want to be more open um, to becoming more platform like or able to run other applications? Is there actually a desire for that from the makers of these devices? Absolutely. While we, you can use our software and consumer facing, we're seeing most of our traction right now in industrial. We've got some telcos, um, advanced manufacturing, oil and gas, um, you know, autonomous vehicles. Uh, so the way they think about it is they would like to enable their devices to become software platforms. Ford, for example, um, they like to be able to do AI on their cars. They like to be able to do real-time image processing on their cars. Um, and they would like it such that, you know, right now the way they solve this is, for example, Ford may have their own particular SDK that well, a handful of developers at Ford knows how to write for. And so maybe three developers can write against this SDK. What would be better if is if everyone could write for that SDK. So then they would have access to a plethora of apps. And then you could take that same like AI that you write for a car and you can take that and you can write it for a smart camera or you can write it for an oil pump or you can write it for on the factory floor because the algorithm itself, it doesn't change. It's just the application of it. Um, one of the applications that we currently have right now is a way to do model training at the edge. Well, that's not specific to any one use case. Um, and I'm guaranteeing that everybody would like to be able to port that application if they could. And it'd be great for a developer to be able to write that for, let's say, take that app and be able to run it on multiple different devices, right? The Angry Birds guy doesn't want to be able to run it on three different phones. He wants to be able to run it on everybody's phone, right? That's where they can get, the developer can get the scale as well, right? So there's actually a real nice marriage between the two and allowing us to open that out. And uh, the thing to also note here is that having our edge computing technology embedded in a device doesn't necessarily mean that the use cases like to use third-party apps or like an open app platform. It might just be that the primary use is that the manufacturer is able to deploy upgrades to their own product. And uh, they no longer have to write that infrastructure for themselves. So they want to manage the product remotely and see how many washing machines have come online or how many oil pumps are currently not running the software they're supposed to be running and what to do about it. So that's all stuff they'd have to figure out without us. Okay. When you uh, talk about all these use cases, a few things 
come to mind for me, and they are limitations in compute because a lot of these edge devices are running on you know pretty low powered processors and also connectivity. So tell me sort of what you're seeing around both of those cases and how much compute is needed for your platform to run and how do you even get it on these devices to begin with? Sure. So we, we keep a, a, a very low set of requirements. In fact, our, for us, a compute platform is a target to run our technology if it can run arbitrary code and do basic multi-threading. But what that looks like in terms of metrics is like, think like a dual core 32-bit ARM processor. So the type of processor costs you a couple of dollars and uh, 256 megs of RAM. That's um, a suitable platform for doing some decent edge computing. And with that, you can probably run about four edge applications of moderate size before you would tap out. Ideally, you know, if you're going to run something that involves some AI or some data analytics and so on, uh, you want to get more like, you know, 512 megs of RAM or a gig of RAM. And, you know, quad core processor is great. 64 bit is great. These are that's like the qualifications of a Raspberry Pi 3, you know, it's uh, one gig of RAM and, and quad core 64 bit and how you get it on there is uh, you can either uh, manufacture the device with like its embedded OS and just have part of the binaries include the Edgeworks uh, software, or uh, you can put it on aftermarket. Uh, so meaning the compute you know, module is already done and maybe even already has an OS and then you can install it afterward. So it's there's a lot of flexible ways to, to put it there. The way that you embed it with some security might, uh, you know, you might prefer to do it at manufacture time, right? So that way there's basically nobody has access to the, the, the root binaries or something. So that would be one reason to do it and flash it in the board like as it's being made. Okay, that makes sense. Um, what about the connectivity piece? All of our stuff was designed uh, to handle spotty connectivity. And that's one of the things that makes the edge so different from the cloud or the data center. Those environments have really high reliable connectivity. In fact, if you lost connectivity from your servers to you know the rest of the, the system, you basically would be out of a data center or out of a cloud node. But at the edge, that happens all the time. And so our software does the handling and the buffering, and it's called store and forward, right, for messages that couldn't get across because the, the cellular link was down and so on. And the whole point to Edge is to use the connectivity to get the instructions that you need or the software that you need and then do what you have to do offline and not need uh, to be constantly connected in order to operate. And so you really want to choose hardware based on your use case. So if you're going to do real time, you know, 20 frames per second plus image recognition, you're going to want some GPU or, you know, AI specific chips that are um, right there uh, at the edge. And if all you really need to do is uh, filter data based on some simple criteria and then forward it on, if it, you know, matches uh, a pattern, that's the sort of thing you can run at that bare, bare minimum. Right. And, uh, you know, just some simple filtering intelligence. How much of this is applicable to new devices in which you're installed sort of at the manufacturing point? And how much of it is you applying the technology that you have to devices already in market and bringing new use cases to them? That's a great comment. So let's talk for a moment about like the topology that now includes the edge. At the very, very bottom is the devices that sounds more like what you're talking about is, you know, this is a wearable that takes my heart rate and this is uh, the, the controller for the motor speed on an assembly line kind of thing. Uh, so there are so many devices out there uh, in, you know, legacy devices that need to be integrated. And uh, because of that, you'll never have an agent software or some SDK that you're going to put on every device in a solution. And so realizing that 
our stuff best runs one layer up from the actual sources of data themselves. And so that's either it's going to be an IoT gateway or it's going to be like a Wi-Fi router or it's going to be in the trunk of the car. It's going to be the in the main computer, but it's not going to be the tire sensing module. It's going to be the thing that that tire sensing module talks to. And that's for a couple of different reasons. At the very bottom layer, everything is siblings. So which, what is it, the temperature sensor that should do the processing for it and the pressure sensor? You know, sibling nodes are all on the same level. And so what you really want is you want one layer above that to be the place where you start to collect and aggregate. So the layer right above the devices is the first place where you can aggregate together. And it's interesting because it's also kind of your last chance to translate wireless signals or to translate protocols or to add some context before you start to lose your grip on, you know, this whole mess that is like the the diverse range of sensing data and so on. Also, you know, these devices are tend to be sort of very commoditized. They tend to be dumber devices. People rather have a thousand sensors that are can gather more data than have 10 really, really smart, expensive sensors. So um, allowing us to sit above that allows them to continue to generate more and more commodity level sensors without interfering with that. Okay, so how does that fit with the idea of different nodes connecting to each other and creating a kind of mesh network of devices? Can you talk about that and how that fits into what you've built? Yeah, sure. So there's there's meshes that are used for uh, reliable data transmission. So like uh, this would be like Bluetooth 5 mesh or Zigbee mesh, right? And the whole point there is that if some of the nodes go down, the data still gets through because it finds another path. And that's these uh, this redundancy effect of just networking. So we have a software mesh network which works kind of the same way in that if there are some of the nodes are currently not connected, there's still other paths for getting things through. But all of the networks that you use to connect things, so like the LoRaWAN or Wi-Fi or Zigbee or cellular or whatnot, all of them work really great with our technology because how you transmit the stuff is just kind of the carrier. And we believe that in the future, um, connectivity will be increasingly commoditized. Uh, people will say, oh, so you got me, you sold me on a cellular contract for this oil field. And then over here, we have a satellite connection. And over here, we use LoRaWAN. You don't care because the software that you run, the Edgework stuff, runs across all of them equally the same. And how do you or your clients figure out when it makes sense to do the compute locally on the device, you know, on the edge versus sending data back to the cloud um, for processing? Uh, well, I think a couple of factors drive their decisions. One is, you know, the speed in which they want a response. So in some cases, they want to take action immediately, right? In the case where we talked about uh, in the image recognition, if they're trying to do target tracking, they want to know right away when they found a target they want to track and to be able to take some sort of action, right? Whether it be notify a first responder or let the subsequent camera next door to say, hey, you need to get a hold of this guy because he's coming in your direction. Um, and if you had to take all that time and wait for a cloud to do the processing, you know, that wouldn't make sense. Um, another is security that determines this. Um, take the example of a hospital. Once you match patient information, you can't send data outside into the cloud because of HIPAA compliance. And what if that data is hacked? It has to stay within the four walls. Well, edge computing enables people to do some uh, real cool processing without necessarily sending it back to some sort of cloud. And we talked about bandwidth earlier as well and cost. So some, these are some of the real issues that we've seen um, that drive the decision making. Um, you know, one of the things that we're really big on is 
that the cloud isn't this like end all be all sort of thing. I think that's pretty controversial of a thing to say in these day and age. I mean, everyone thinks like the cloud is it. Um, and, you know, we kind of think of a cloud as sort of like a ball and chain in some way. You know, it hinders a lot of the things you can do. This company who wants to do this real-time processing uh, in terms of image tracking, if they had to send that data to a cloud, it just wouldn't work. That use case would fall on its flat on its face. It's only because we can do edge processing that they can actually pursue this. Um, and, uh, you know, and then there's like the cloud is pretty slow as well. Um, and, you know, if speed is a factor, this is also going to be a limiting thing for you. It's not as secure, and we all know that. We've uh, we're aware of that. We sort of turn a blind eye to the security uh, constraints because of the you know ease of use of the cloud. But it's a big deal for a lot of um, use cases. And now, because we can do edge processing, we can now enable these use cases in a way we couldn't before. Don't don't forget about the cost of your cloud and chain that you wear <laughs> on your ankle, which is once they've got your data. It seems that everything you do with it has a cost associated with it. And maybe you don't want to give them everything you got. Right. So one of the other considerations here is this idea that data is the new oil. And, you know, all of the large data processors, whether the cloud processors, whether it's Amazon or Google, um, who currently have the most data now, you know, are seen as taking the most advantage of it. But when that processing moves to the edge, what effect does that have? It's uh, this is kind of this is what, like our battle cry is. Uh, we say, bring bring your own edge. If you get rid of your tethering and your your reliance on the cloud, you get to choose where your data goes and what to do with it. So take um, a, a factory that has been making the same product for the last uh, I don't know sixty years or so. They currently have operational technology, right? It's just abbreviated OT, probably around optimizing their operations, uh, maybe the manufacturing flow, things like packaging, and then, you know, shipping and warehousing. And all of that is this closed system, and it's all there to run their factory. And every company you talk to is going to talk about uh, digital transformation, right? And, and especially the bigger companies are saying we need to move from being a physical goods company to being a digitized company, even though we still make physical goods. And now what if they go through that transformation and all of their data now is held in someone's cloud system and uh, is being, as you said, processed by a Google or an Amazon or whatever? Held hostage by them. They're held hostage. (laughs) They've basically given over their company's next biggest asset, which is their data, to somebody else. They don't want to do it. And uh, that's some of the reasons why there's been slow uptake of these industrial IoT platforms because they require that the data go into some central cloud and companies don't want to do that. They want to still be viable businesses in the digital age. So uh, you take the processing and put it to the edge and you put the power back in the hands of those who create and own the data. And that's like a really important point for us. And that's one of the reasons our customers love us is they don't they, they don't end up giving away the farm. Okay, so let's talk about customers and how they come to find out about Edgeworks. So it's my understanding you have an open source component and then, you know, is it the case where someone plays around with the open source part and then they decide to pay you for other services or how does it work? Yep, uh, we are actually open sourced under the Eclipse Foundation. Uh, we open sourced um, in May of 2016, and within a couple of hours, Eclipse asked if we would like to come under their umbrella, which of course is a no-brainer given that they are uh, taking the charge on you know industrial IoT or just IoT in general. Um, and so we're happy to be under the Eclipse Foundation. And uh, yeah, all of our customers have come in through them. Uh, it's a really great way to um, uh, market to uh, people because um, it's not like I have to convince them, hey. 
edge is great. Here's the reasons why. These people have already have a use case. They're trying to solve a problem. They realize the cloud isn't going to work. Um, and um, more often than not, they've already been through the, you know, the Microsoft, the Amazons, the C3, the resins, the, you know, they've tried their own, you know, Kubernetes at the edge and they realize, oh, you know what? This is hard. Um, and so then they come to the Eclipse Foundation and, you know, they find us out and they say help. And uh, we don't have to say, well, this is how we're better than all these guys because we've already done it. They've already done it for themselves. They've done the analysis. And so um, they try it. Sometimes they don't even try it. They just hear what we can do and they say help. And then we, we show them what we can do. Um, so um, pretty shortly now, you can actually go to the Eclipse Foundation and you can you know download our stuff and start working with it today. Um, within short order here, we are going to have a hosted cloud. Uh, sorry, not hosted cloud. Pass. So platform. Pass, yeah, platform, platform as a service. service. Uh, where you can bring your own edge. And um, get started with our software uh, from our website, www.edgeworks.io. So there's two ways on which you can start engaging. Obviously, if you do it through the Edgeworks, you have the um, the UI, uh, the management, the um, orchestration, uh, some of the things that are not available on the open source. But the open source engine is really strong. So if they want to get started that way, they can there too. Okay. You're talking about large industrial corporations or operations that have very specific needs. And as a young, small, early stage startup, how do you find the resources to figure out which problems you try to tackle or which customers you can work with, you know, on a case by case basis? Because I, I figured you probably have to allocate resources very mindfully. Well, the beauty about what we're doing is that we don't necessarily have to pick and choose, right? Because we're a software platform, uh, developers, all of these companies have developers. They already know how to write software. They already know what the use cases that they want to write for are. They just want to find a way to deliver that to the edge. And so we solve that problem. Android doesn't have to worry about working with the Android Birds Guide to figure out how to write, pick and choose which app they want to run. They provide the tools for any developer to write apps. And so, um, for example, in oil and gas, we have customers. They know the algorithms they want to run. They know how to increase yield. They know how to do certain things to bring down costs. Uh, they've been running these algorithms in the cloud for a long period of time, and now they want to be able to do it on the edge. So we uh, provide them the mechanism to do that. They download our uh, platform onto these devices, and now they can uh, deploy the apps that they run right there on the edge. Uh, they can um, add new apps that they uh, on the edge. They can roll back to previous um, apps. Uh, they can run apps that they've already developed. They can write custom apps for you know um, new use cases. Uh, so that's actually uh, one of the things that we differentiate from other people in the edge computing or in the IoT space. They couple like we solve for this use case only. And in order to do that, you have to be you know um, subject matter expertise in that one use case. Uh, I think that's a very small problem to solve for, and we're trying to solve for a big problem here. And that's what we want to do is uh, we want to enable people to build. Uh, applications for the edge, regardless of their use case, using the same types of tooling that they use to build for cloud or and have it just work. And that's what the world needs. Yeah. And because we're on containers at the edge, people can write um, using the languages they are not to write. It doesn't matter if it's C, C Sharp, mm -hmm. Java, Python. They can use tools that they already know how to use. They can run software that they already have been running in their cloud. They can just containerize it and deploy it to the edge. They can take best-in-class software. Like, for example, we can take TensorFlow. We can wrap its entire neural net in under an hour and push it to the edge. And so um, one of the beauties of what we're trying to do is you don't need to rewrite software. You can take so existing software as well. Okay. What's one controversial opinion that uh, each of you holds pretty strongly? For me, it was the idea that cloud isn't going to be this end-all solution to everything and that uh, there are a lot of limitations to the cloud that people sort of turn a blind eye to that where we envision a future where 
you can actually run uh, really meaningful technology, really meaningful solutions in infrastructure that don't, don't necessarily involve the cloud. Um, and, you know, today that would be sort of heresy um, if you to think about. And uh, for me, all of the stuff that we've come to trust, uh, you know, SSL certificate signed by a certificate authority and so on, they're tools for securing our, our, our future computing era, but they're not sufficient. Uh, and we really have to rethink, um, you know, the way that we do uh, security uh, now that we're actually putting devices out that can impact the physical world. Uh, if you have a bug in your in your data or you get hacked and the database gets wiped out, you have backups. But you can't back up a human heart. You can't back up 500 pounds of steel that got incorrectly stamped because somebody hacked a system. So now that we're impacting the physical world, and think about autonomous vehicles, right? Your four-way stop example, you can't, you can't restore a backup of a crashed car and the life that was inside it. So we need to think about things very different. And uh, so my kind of controversial opinion is everything that we know is not enough. Cool. Let's say Edgeworks becomes ubiquitous. How does that change society? How does that change the way that people think about computing? I think uh, once uh, Edgeworks becomes ubiquitous, and I believe it will, I think everyone thinks about every device is now as a, as a software platform and a computing platform. And I know it's sort of like it's hard to wrap your head around it today um, because we only think of these consumer apps. But um, there's so many things you can do. Like uh, if you take real time video imaging, you can do more than just detect from a camera. You know, you'd be you know, if you're running on a car, you can use it to detect certain things. Um, you can detect um in, in agri- smart agriculture, have the leaves change color? Do they need to be harvested um, in the in, within a refrigerator? Um, do I have all the groceries that I need? Have things got started to mold or go bad? I mean, if you were able to take that app and port it everywhere, um, all of a sudden that's pretty interesting. The, a type of person who'd want to write that and see that uh, applied in a lot of different ways is is pretty is pretty interesting. So um, I think we see a world where you know um, we have these devices that are just you know, akin to what we have for mobile devices today. Those things are everywhere and they do all these different things that you wouldn't even think of. I mean, if someone told me, you know, five years ago that I would want, you know, to carry my entire picture collection with me at all times, I'd want to have an encyclopedia with me at all times. I'd want to be able to um, access the internet at all times. I'd want to be able to watch, you know, videos with me at all times. I'd be like, you know, I'm not going to like lug my like TV and my, you know, DVD collection and my like, you know, every picture I've ever taken in the trunk of my car and uh, you know, leave the house with it. And today I can't imagine not having those things with me. And I don't hardly even use my phone just to call people anymore. It's to have all this other stuff. And so I think um, we're just trying, I, I don't think our mind has even started to grasp the amount of different uh, types of applications that we're going to want to have at some point in the future. But Edris is going to be running everywhere and we're going to enable that to happen. And it, I think we're, that is really cool because now it's just the imagination of all these developers that it's going to take hold and see what they can come up with. So when Edgeworks is ubiquitous, the question of how to wrangle and secure and protect data. So the question of data provenance is solved. Discussion over. There's no more conversation around, well, once I pass it to AWS, is it technically, does it need to be managed by them? Who's in, who's responsible for compliance? Is it a compliant cloud? What happens if it gets copied along the way? What happens if some application sends a copy of it outside of the boundaries that we wanted to keep the application within? These questions are over because um, that's one of the things that we focus on. And um, I just I see that there's there's endless, endless architecture conversations. And really what we need is endless infrastructure that is just everywhere. And if you're using that common infrastructure that, that everyone else is using, you can guarantee that if you didn't authorize that data to go from point A to point B, it ain't going nowhere. 
And that just closes that. And I would love to see that conversation over because we're entering into an era where if you lose your data, you lose your value. And if somebody gets a hold of your data, they can be you. So it's, you know, we need protections around this. Yeah, the security aspect of it is probably for me the the most attractive part, especially when we think, I mean, we've talked a lot about industrial applications and use cases, but when you talk about the consumer use case and all these devices and the malware that just, you know, randomly appears on these things, um, it's pretty scary. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. Yeah, Thank thanks so much for having us. Thanks again for listening to What's Next. We're releasing a new episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. Next time, I'll be chatting with Yossi Taguri and Joe Solomon of Missing Link. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Laura Flynn with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time.